Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 30 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're talking about A Christmas Story, 1983's classic tale of a child who may or may not shoot his eye out. It was based on Gene Shepard's semi-fictional anecdotes in his 1966 book, In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash. The screenplay was by Gene Shepard, Leigh Brown, who is Shepard's wife, and Bob Clark, who was also the director for this movie. Do you know how Bob Clark earned his right to make this movie? It's because he made a... He made a very successful movie two years before. I don't. The sex comedy Porky's. Oh, wow. I can really see why that gives him enough credit to do this one. (laughs) I mean, what a wild pivot to go Porky's (laughs) to a Christmas story. Oh, my goodness. That's hilarious. But you know what? There was a layer of humor in this that I actually, I really appreciate that I actually kind of get the connection, to be honest. There's a dark sense of humor here that I never got when I was younger. Well, I mean, I well, to be fair, I didn't see this movie actually until I was an adult. I was in my I was like in my early 20s, I think the first time I saw this movie. No kidding. How did that happen? It just wasn't a movie in my household. So it was a movie in the household of the of the person who at that point was my girlfriend would become my wife at that point. It was a annual movie in their household. They were one of the people who would keep it on for the 24 hours when oh. TNT and TBS started doing that in like the late <laughs> yeah. 90s. Like they adopted uh-huh. that tradition. So I got it by like osmosis because it was just on the back in the background playing year after year uh for a whole day um (laughs) yeah but i never really sat down to like really pay attention to it i mean i've seen the whole movie a bunch of times but i never really thought about the movie and especially now years later as a parent there's a lot of like parent humor in here and there's some like really dark humor in here too that 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 i found really funny (laughs) this this was one of those movies for me that was not necessarily a family tradition but just like your experience with it it's something that was on the tv and anytime it was on we just leave it on um and so you just kind of walk through the room and see different parts in fact i didn't even remember exactly when and where it ended (laughs) like like when it when we got to the certain point i was like okay it's over then i was like oh yeah i forgot about this next part like there, because it was just like walking through the room a whole bunch of times. Same. I totally forgot about the Chinese food Me scene. Me too. Completely forgot about it. I mean, when he says all was right in the world, that, sem- that seemed like such an ending. Like, da, 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 you know, and, you know, you pan out to the house and then you're done. And then, but of course I knew the Bumpus Dogs whole scene with eating the turkey. I mean, I knew the dad yelling. I knew all that, but I didn't place it in my head how it all worked out. Funny how this one has kind of woven in and I'm with you so wholeheartedly that this is one that oddly I never put myself in the position of 
Ralphie, and I never put myself in the position of the parent. This time when I watched it, for whatever reason, I enjoyed it so much because I loved the excitement of the kids getting ready for Christmas and every part to it, like all of the, you know, sneaking little suggestions to your parents and getting ready for Santa Claus and just this, the the innocent excitement and anticipation of Christmas that, to be honest with you, few of our of our movies thus far have had not a, just a plain straight excitement it's all been the one that i kept comparing it to and you're gonna have to help me remember the name it's the one where the mom is gone and the dad is like the and cloris leachman was in it and the, the dad was raising her and all that prancer yeah. In my brain, I was comparing that one and I was comparing Polar Express to like where we were seeing a little bit from the kid point of view. And both of them had such angst and tension and fear about Christmas and worry about Christmas. And this one was just none of that. It was so much excited anxiety, but not my mom's dead anxiety that these other these other ones had with it, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I The movie I was comparing this to in my head was Home Alone, not because of of the violence of Home Alone, but because I think Home Alone was really the only movie that really portrayed a kid at Christmas time actively wrapped up in Christmas as a plot point. Kevin is really connected about his parents being gone, his family having disappeared and defending his house. I mean, Christmas is definitely involved in Home Alone, but we've not covered a movie that has focused so much on the arrival of and the childlike enthusiasm and unbridled joy for the arrival of Christmas and what that means in a kid's life. This movie, by head and shoulders, I think best portrays what a kid's feeling is like at Christmas time, at least for me anyway. So so, so that was the thing I got from this. I, for the first time ever, I really viewed this from the parents' point of view. But I also felt such nostalgia for my own childhood watching Ralphie go for Christmas because I had so much of the same buildup and anticipation. Christmas was by far my favorite day of the year as a kid, always. I feel like Ralphie captures that so, so well, there's this line early in the movie I want to play for you because I think this is a perfect distillation of at least of what I was like as a kid trying to get what I wanted for Christmas across the board. For weeks, I had been scheming to get my mitts on one of these fearsome blue steel beauties. My fevered brain seethed with the effort of trying to come up with the infinitely subtle devices necessary to implant the Red Rider range model air rifle indelibly into my parents' subconscious. What a beautiful description of a kid conniving to get what he wanted. Uh, what were you like at Christmas time? Did you put together lists, Caroline? Did you did you like organize your Christmas thoughts <laughs> and your wants? I did. We were always supposed to make a list for Santa. I am lucky enough that I had parents who definitely came through in terms of like following the list and making sure that, you know, Santa knew what I wanted. And they were also parents who the element of surprise, the element of really wanting something and not being exactly sure if I was going to get it. There was always one of us kids who had that 
I think I see something behind the tree. Mine was, there was a note in the bottom of my stocking, in the toe of my stocking. And when I pulled it out, I had to go on the front porch and there was my Cabbage Patch doll. Not in the box, not like a store-bought thing, but in a basket with a blanket. Like it was left for me to be its mom. I mean, I remember it so clearly how much I loved that doll and how much love went into it to like present it to me that way. It makes me teary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of those days of this movie. <laughs> well, I'll tell you though, but as a dad now, the end scene where where the, the dad, him himself having giddy like joy because he knows what's about to happen, telling Ralphie, oh, there's another one behind the desk. And the even the even mom is like, what did we get him? That special moment because the as a parent knowing this is this is it. This is the thing that is going to put a smile on this kid's face. Who and I gotta give Ralphie a lot of credit. A super trooper here. After wanting this gun so much, this rifle so much through the movie, he's sitting between his parents. Randy's passed out on the floor snoring, and they're like, "Ah, how was your Christmas?" He was like, "It was good." Yeah, I got yeah, pretty much. Like he was still sweet. Yeah, he was very sweet. He wasn't obnoxious about it. There's so many Mm-mm. kids, real and fictionalized, that would have been such little jerk brats about it. I didn't get the one thing I really wanted. He was a little. Sweet kid about it you know he was thankful except for aunt clara's bunny costume he was thankful for everything he got i love that about him so that when he gets the rifle i i want him to have it and i want the dad to have that moment because it, what a win what a sweet moment for this gruff <laughs> you know i love his mumbling yelling like that's the thing that that i only think about with the dad is that so much of what he said is just this grumbling mumble that's like that noise you just made that's like so funny to me i think what this movie does so well too is that balance that you still understood the parents they weren't sidelined they weren't just shown from the knees down like we're just kids and so that's all we see of our parents kind of thing i think the mom was a fully developed character i think that the dad was a fully developed character you really understood their household and you understood all the dynamics even even little guy uh randy like he was so um adorable and then with all his little his little foibles like the the sitting under the the cabinet i might have had at least one kid who used to sit inside the cabinet oh my and god so i thought when he reaches out and pulls it with the dish towel i was like oh my god that was so cute it's so what, real. I mean, there are so many lines that came back to me that I really still tre- treasure and think about all the time that come from this movie. And when he winds out sitting under the cabinet, Ralphie, uh, da- uh, uh, dad's going to kill Ralphie. <laughs> yes. It's so, so funny. <laughs> but, I, but I'll tell you, though, the single best thing Randy says in this entire movie is something I still utter sometimes today when it comes up. And uh, I'm trying to secretly implanted in tom's brain so he can also carry on the tradition is is, is this gem right here at dinner time meatloaf meatloaf double beatloaf i hate meatloaf that's hilarious because my sister's favorite meal is meatloaf and i say it every single time my dad makes it for her <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's this movie. I mean, there are so many lines. I mean, you have this one, this one. Oh my lord! Especially with our Gaba Gold talk, this one all the time. Ah, fragile. That must be Italian. I think that says fragile, honey. Oh yeah. 
I love the mom and the dad. They're so good together. They're so I love good that together. we're saying it like that because you know what? Here's the other thing. They're not idealized. Like they're not this like picture perfect family, right? Like dad yells, dad, you know, has issues. The mom you can see is exhausted plenty of the time. She's struggling, you know, to make, make every decision exactly right. Walk that line of when do you tell dad and get him involved? Or when do you just parent yourself? And the face that she makes when she calls Schwartz's mom and she realizes that Schwartz's mom is not the same as her and is going to like beat Schwartz. That whole thing, like the look on her face of like, oh my God, like you can tell what a soft heart she actually is. When he snaps and he goes to town on Farkas's face and makes him bleed and she comes and she grabs him and it takes him, like it takes her a good second to calm him down for him to come to his senses and he just collapses in her arms crying. Mm, I was like, oh my God, like this movie, I don't remember this movie (laughs) having like such folds and like multitudes, but she holds him and, and you know, at that point, she's not going to, he's already punished himself more he already hates himself more for what has happened than anything that could come of telling the dad and having the dad punish him this is a movie you know we talked about other ones and and how they aged and and how now they were disturbing or they were like really bizarre or they didn't make sense this is one of those ones where you're like man this was a real snapshot of america you know at a certain time in a certain place and at a certain age when you're a parent of kids this age or your kids yourselves there's a whole vibe that's going on the watching the christmas parade and them whining about santa and (laughs) that entire thing i've lived that so many times and you're just trying to do a good thing about being there and watching this parade and at the same time there's like kids around you whining and you're like oh my gosh like they managed to do what individual movies we watched only took a section of like say bad moms right or or even polar express or whatever like there's all these questions of of what it's like to be the kid but you get the parent pov too but it's more subtle it's not like we ever truly see it from their eyes but you get what they're going through and it's not completely glossed over i mean the dad is gruff yeah no for sure i it's uh, you know i mentioned the nostalgia for my own childhood at this movie there's so there's such a part of this movie now it's set in 1940 ish there are time anachronisms so it's really hard to actually pinpoint the exact time that this movie takes place but uh gene shepherd and bob clark meant it to take place like 1930 1940 1941 somewhere in there but there's stuff that dates it at 1940 there's stuff that dates it at 41 there's stuff that doesn't happen until like 43 and 45 and 48 like so there are a bunch of like time anachronisms in this movie but generally it is 1940 ish when this movie takes place this could have been 1984 though this could have been 1985 it felt so much like what my childhood felt like and maybe that was because america didn't change a whole bunch in the in a in a real sense in that 40 year period but it's partially because families are families, you know, and in and, and this one, yes, it depicted a mom and a dad. And now families certainly are can be mom and mom or dad and dad and or single parent or any different thing. But at the same time, like the love and the interaction between parents and kids and wanting things to happen a certain way at Christmas time and things not going right and making the best of situations like the Chinese dinner, which I actually have family and friends who specifically eat Chinese food on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day 
because of this movie. And it's become their family's tradition to just do that. And it's so fun for them and they just enjoy it. And it takes the pressure off the mom anyway or the dad, whomever's making dinner. Uh, some of the racist stereotypes in, in that scene don't age well. But the humor, though, the humor, though, throughout this movie, the humor is really universal. Um, you, you would have to change like a Red Rider air rifle for maybe some kind of electronic for most kids nowadays, but this idea of wanting and scheming to get something, a parent trying to decide whether or not they are going to be able to get it or if it's safe. I mean, th this this uh, refrain of... Uh, You'll shoot your eye out, kid. I mean, that's how adults approach things when they, when they hear a, a nine-year-old say, I want to get a gun, you know? Yes. <laughs> Yes, you know, for sure. but but like the bowling thing, which is so funny because the sign says bowling, but the W is out, so it's the bowling Chinese restaurant. It's a very <laughs> funny little in joke. I, I that made me laugh so hard, and I'll tell you why. I was watching the scene, and again, I didn't remember the scene. Like I remembered it when I saw it, but I didn't really remember it. I I didn't either. Through the window, when when the duck comes out and they yes. bring the duck out and it puts it down. If you watch the mom, who's who's played by Melinda Dillon, <laughs> she's cracking up. She can't hold herself together. She's laughing more than anyone else in the scene, and is and and is really amused by the whole thing. And I was. Watching she keeps like hiding her face, which is exactly what I would do if a if a full head of a duck came out. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I mean, the Chinese turkey. They they say you know. So funny. But she she looks like she's breaking. I mean, she, she's hiding her face, and I was like, that feels so improvised. I I had to go digging into it, so I was digging into the trivia. It was. Uh, oh. They gave her the wrong script pages on purpose on the oh. day of the shooting. Uh, so everyone was in on the joke. Everyone knew what was going to happen except for Melinda Dillon. So when, in particular, when the duck comes out with the head on, that's all real reaction because she has no <laughs> idea what's happening. Oh, my goodness. I, there's something so pure about this movie that just knowing that, that that was an honest response to the situation. I feel like that's this entire movie. Everything feels like an honest response to the circumstances of Christmas. You know, like, how does everyone act? Parents are a little frazzled. You know, there's all this stress and pressure for us to do everything right. And kids are like incredibly hopeful. I even like I even bristle. This is funny when you say like scheming or anything like I feel like that's almost like too negative of a word. Like he just he's just trying to get the information from. I feel like if they made this movie today, the kid would be scheming. And I mean that in an ugly way, like he would do things that are more questionable i guess but just putting it in a magazine that she he knows she's gonna read like i just think that's so cute like he's just trying to be persuasive you know he's not he's trying to make sure she knows about it you know it just doesn't it, the motivation feels different you know what i'm saying that yeah, no, i think yeah, and a kid would be today if they made this movie I agree. I think it would be darker and more malicious if they did it today with a kid. It would be more like uh, the problem child, you know, the, the John Ritter movie. Yeah, um, more but, annoying. You know, but I mean, the the monologue where he's trying to think out his his talking points for the right yes. moments. And, and then when he flubs it and he, he blurts out stuff and he's like, oh, what'd you do, you fool? <laughs> right, right, right. Oh so, you know, there's so much stuff there. Peter Billingsley as Ralphie Parker. I mean, his face for me, I'm completely biased because this is exactly what my son looks like. 100%. Yeah, I was going to say he's Jack's clone. <laughs> he is Jack's clone. And so he has those big blue eyes. He has the blonde hair and those little ruddy cheeks. Like even the way he talks, even the way he has things like his little Ovaltine decoder and, and just everything, every part of it 
is such a realistic portrayal of a kid for me. I just, I eat it up with Spoon, man. I just, yum. You know, we talk a lot about kid actors and a lot of times we're, we're kind of, you know, cringy when they come on screen because sometimes they can just be so over the top or, you know, you can kind of see someone feeding them lines or something. He just does such a seamless job, you know, scene after scene of selling it and, and just being like a completely relaxed in his skin kid. This movie more than anyone, and maybe there will be others down the road. We still have... 22 weeks ahead of us but as far as looking backwards to the last 29 weeks this movie does the best portrayal of a real kid going through real kid stuff at this time of their life now he's 12 when they make this movie peter billingsley is uh playing a nine-year-old so that also probably gives him an advantage but he's also a successful actor at this point too he had been a working commercial actor since he was a baby he had been on a bunch of tv shows he had done stints he was like a pro even at 12 it doesn't feel like acting like he sells it so so well it's kind of crazy if you think about it peter billingsley doesn't actually end up having that big of a career after this he does a couple more movies and he's he remains involved in hollywood but it's crazy to me that in such a great role that he performs here that he didn't have a larger blockbuster role right i think so i do know that that you know he he went into directing and and that type of thing and so i guess that's not so uncommon amongst Mm. child stars right that maybe they they kind of get tired of being in front of the camera I, w- I was actually starting to feel a little bad about Peter Billingsley. I was like, man, I, he, well, he's just not like a household name. I think especially if you ask most people, even if they've seen A Christmas Story, they may not know the name Peter Billingsley. He's just not like a household name. Right. But I stopped feeling sorry for him. Do you know why? Uh, is it because he made a horror Christmas movie? No, that is a thing that happened. But <laughs> No, it's because he was one of the executive producers on a little movie called Iron Man back in 2008. And oh, so wow. he is probably richer than <laughs> a large portion of this country combined. So, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like one of he's only one of like seven executive producers on that movie. So he's probably been making bank for uh, two decades at this point. Well, he seems like he continued to be savvy in the business post his acting career. So good for him. And I just, you know, great on the casting for this one. I feel like he has that perfect sense of like innocence and, and adorable, but not that sappy, gross, cringy. I can't watch this kid talk. Oh, I, right. And and right. And none of the Eddie Haskell like oiliness either. Like he's yeah. just an honest to God kid who they're just captured. Captur- like this would be guerrilla style. It feels like guerrilla style, like videotaping. Like you're just catching <laughs> a kid going through his day vignette style around Christmas time. I feel the same way about all the kid actors, though. I feel this way about Flick and Schwartz and Farkas and Grover, all of them. I actually think they all acted like real kids you know when when flick is like trying to whisper under his breath and he's trying to be like your mother stop swearing like your mother you know like that whole part his face is just so cute like i'm i'm for it poor flick man i didn't remember he he takes it so hard in this movie between the pole (laughs) and then he he gets that black eye from farkas and grover Mm -hmm. i mean this poor kid is getting his butt whooped I know. I know that tongue when there's actually like a bow tie on the top of the bandage on his tongue. Oh, well, yeah, they put like the little fuzzy gauze on it kind of thing. Yes, it was like so cute. But I mean, even my son yelled, though, like, why don't they just use warm water? And I was like, you're right. That is what you would do. You wouldn't just pull it off. (laughs) They didn't have to do that. And before child services gets called, because it's a different world that we live in now, uh, for the scenes where his tug is stuck to the flagpole, they actually used a hidden suction tube to 
safely create the illusion that his tongue was actually frozen to the metal. But uh, yes, uh, young Mr. No Schwartz, young worry. Scott Schwartz was never actually in any danger. That's good to know. Very good to know. What about little Randy? I know you didn't have any brothers or anything, but does that little snowsuit get up and being all packed inside to try to stay warm? Does that does that ring a bell for you? I, hysterical. When, when he's putting his, when she's like, she realizes how fluffy she's made him and like puts his arms down and they pop back up. He's like a prop. Randy is essentially like a, a great whiny prop in this movie. And I, I'm here for it because he is everything about little kids that I don't like. Oh, my gosh. See, I totally had a picky eater little brother. And I totally as a Randy, I just thought he's so cute. Yeah, no, he was great. He was great. Uh, before we get to the parents, though, I want to talk about adult Ralphie. Uh, yeah. So it's actually Gene Shepard, whose book this is based on, like we said at the beginning, and God We Trust All Others Pay Cash, which is uh, a series of stories about himself that he collected in this book. But he's been on the circuit since the 60s and the 70s. He had been telling these stories and other stories. Uh, he's, he did uh, things for PBS. He did radio shows. He, you know, he did a radio show here in New York on WOR. Like, he had been telling his story, like, giving, like, an oral tradition of these stories for years before this movie gets made. It was actually in production for, like, 10 years before it actually got made. So he's the one who's doing the narration, really telling the story of his life. Does that work for you? Does the vignette style work for you? Because that was another thing I didn't remember. This is not, like, one linear movie. It's, like, fade-ins and fade-outs. It's it's li really, like, little snippets of different parts of the same part of his life. It completely works for me because I think that the, it lends to the nostalgia. It lends to that, like, remember when, you know, it, it kind of forces you to to bring up your own memories and, and think that way. And also, when I do look back, that's exactly what my memories look like. I joke all the time that I lived in Massachusetts for five years, but for me, the town map is just like these, like, blobs here and there because I don't know actually how you get from point A to point B because I don't remember a road or what way you turn to get there. But I know where like Kathleen's house is and I know where town centers, but I don't remember. It's all just like these hazy little vignettes for me of where things happened. It's the structure of it helps you feel like we're remembering something that happened. You would really feel like you're listening to this guy tell a story and like, Peter Griffith style from like Family Guy, like you're going into the flashback with him. Oh gosh, that's a funny uh, comparison. <laughs> I like Gene Shepard a lot better than I like Peter Griffin. <laughs> well, sure, sure, sure. But if you were from Rhode Island, you know, maybe you would feel maybe differently. I feel different if I was a Cohogian. I one thing I actually liked, which I didn't learn until I was digging into this movie and looking at trivia and some facts about this movie, is his memories are a little conflated. Gene Shepard's memories are a little conflated and it plays out in the story. Um, yeah. Like the Red Rider BB gun that he wants, the model that he had didn't come with the compass and the sundial in it. That was a different rifle made by Daisy. And in his memories and his recollection kind of conflated it all together. So they made a special version of the Red Rider carbine, you know, air rifle gun for this movie that has all those features together. But that actually wasn't a line that Daisy had made at the time. It was two separate rifles and he had remembered parts of it. 
but I like that though, because that's, that's also how stories go, right? I tell stories yeah. all the time of stuff that is all conflated together, stuff that happened from different parts, but in my brain is all a part of the same story. And maybe I don't realize until later, but that's how memories go after 30, 40, 50 years, you know, it just yeah. kind of gets all mushy together. I completely agree. I, I even, I thought where you were going to go with that too, is the, the way that he plays out the scene with the, with the burglars that they're going to come sneak in the yard and how it's such like a, like a silent movie. It's like, they play the piano and the, the guys with actual like striped shirts and bandit, mm-hmm. you know, masks come Black over. Bark. Like it's so funny and it's so like childlike and whimsical, I guess, in a scene that could have played out way dark and, and really odd, you know? Well, it's not scary. It's not scary for kids or, or grandmas or anybody to watch. No, it's very digestible because, again, I mean, it's the kind of thing that you would have gotten as like the height of entertainment in like the 20s. But, mm-hmm. you know, even by the 40s, when the movie is set and certainly by the 80s and now the, the, the 21st century is just quaint. Yeah, it's it's it, it gives you the exact kind of thing and very relatable because kids have daydreams where they put themselves into the story of something all the time. And, you know, it's great. He gets to play the hero to his parents who are not his parents in the, in the daydream. Uh, a fun fact, they initially actually gave him real tobacco on set to chew <laughs> and it made him sick for hours and like oh, vomiting no. and stuff. So they went to raisins to create the black spit, uh, the black spit uh, uh, chew that he uh, that he's doing in the movie. Oh, my gosh. Could you imagine a time when I, we just... 1983, put, put, like, <laughs> baby! It was a different <laughs> was, world! It certainly was. Goodness, that's funny. Let's finish up the cast. Sure. So you have uh, Darren McGavin, uh, who plays the old man. He plays dad. Uh, he'd never get actually given a name. There are actually a, There's a lot of lore about whether or not he had a name uh, oh. in this movie, and the shooting script possibly had a name for him. But the official line is the dad never really had a name. He was just the old man was how That's he was so known. Funny. But come on, wasn't there like a time when you just knew mom and dad as mom and dad and they didn't have a name? And it was shocking that they had a name. Uh, yeah. It was like, what are you talking about? When, when, right. when people would come over and they would refer to like John or Patricia and be like, who are you talking to? <laughs> There's no John in this house. I don't know what you mean. Like, mom, there's someone yeah. here. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, there's so much about him, though. I, You know, he runs the gamut, the the fighting, and just the way Ralphie talks about his father feels so real to me, because I think it's a, I think it's very accurate how especially sons think of their dads. They heighten them in good and bad ways, you know. I have to tell you, the most relatable line that he utters was when it was Christmas morning, and there's, like, wrapping paper everywhere, and he's like, this is such a big mess. My father says that literally every year every year we all come down and there's all the presents he's like there's too many presents it's too much like how when he was they were like you can't even see the tree like that kind of biz and then being like what a mess this is such a mess as like oh dad's dad's everywhere the phrase i was thinking of i mean he he's referring to him as like the uh the fevered furnace fighter of northern indiana (laughs) he talks about (laughs) he talks about how he weaves a tapestry of obscenities that still can be heard lingering over lake michigan today i mean there's so many funny things because that's like what you kind of get known for like you're like gruff but then you also have like these moments of you know heightened elation like the leg lamp you know he doesn't really oh like gosh. the leg lamp he just likes the idea that he has won something you think he doesn't like the leg lamp no. oh i think he likes the leg lamp he, his face his initial face is it's 
a leg. It's a statue. Oh, no, no, it's a lamp. Like, I, he's just leaning into it because he just wanted to win something. He was just so excited that, like, big award. box. Yes, it's a major <laughs> award. A major award. Uh, you know, and so he's so pumped that he has won something that it could have it could have been a, a turd on a, on, a, on a pedestal. And he would have been like, this is amazing. This is oh a major gosh. award. I even enjoyed how that plot line like plays out with the mom like breaking it and him like when it's like tattered pantyhose it's like it's it's like like hanging off of it why i like it so much is because it doesn't become this source of tension and stress in the story to the point of it being anything other than just a drive-by situation that's happening the the household doesn't have to go down into some wallowing place we don't have to have the the children sitting and crying in the bedroom while the parents fight about it like you and I have been doing this for a while, and some of these Christmas stories has those moments where right. it's like there's all this fraught with tension, upset. I'm glad it just happened. If you get it, you get it, and then you just move on. Well, that's the genius of the of the the narrative te- the narrative structure of this movie makes that possible, right? Because kids are only tangentially aware of the minor squabbles of your parents. Ralphie was old enough and aware enough to know dad is obsessed with this thing, not whether or not it's nice or not, just that dad loves this thing and mom doesn't like this thing. It winds up broken. You know, in real life, you know, in their separate beds upstairs, Ma and dad uh, were having some scuffle about that lamp that night. But that's beyond the purview of of a nine year old. He's only aware of what he's aware of. And that's what all this movie shows you. He's aware that his dad carried it out and buried it in the yard and taps and taps maybe played on the wind while it happened. You know, when 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 they when the narrator calls it electric sex in the window. like oh my gosh that kind of stuff went right over my head too that there yeah. was that level of humor that yeah. is in this that, that it was really a fish that's stocking i never really looked yeah. at i never really looked at the thing and you can buy that they they reproduce they that everywhere every christmas time that leg comes out that leg uh, lamp comes out you can buy like even like night lights like that and all kinds of things that have that on it. The way Ralphie runs his hand up the thigh of the thing and doesn't know why, <laughs> but his hand is just going up it and he's got like a joyful look on his face and he's several years away from knowing why he likes it. But the mom grabs his hand and puts it down. He's She's like, don't do that, Ralphie. You know, <laughs> just because, it, you know, it's so funny. Stuff I caught now that I definitely wouldn't have caught as a kid. And even when I watched this in my early 20s, like I wasn't really paying attention to. One of the things, again, I like about the job that they do here. Darren McGavin as as the old man and Melinda Dillon as, as the mom uh, is all of the things that parents say. And and I'm sure all of our parents say things that all parents say everywhere. But this movie does such a good job of hammering that home because from a kid, I think, again, from a kid's point of view, you would be aware of it. I mean, we already played the you'll shoot your eye out. But then you have this scene, uh, which comes right before the beat loaf scene. Randy, don't play with your food. Eat it. Starving people would be happy to have that. Can I have some more of a cabbage? Uh... You stop playing with your food or I'll give you something to cry about. You better stop fooling around with that and eat it or you'll be sorry. My mother had not had a hot meal for herself in 15 years. Relatable. (laughs) 
<laughs> now, two things in that scene work really well for me and hit really hard. The first is things like starving kids. It became for us, it became starving kids in Africa. Always. They're always in Africa. Always That's in Africa. In this movie, I think it was are. starving yes. kids in China. I mean, yes. I think like Dirty Dancing even has a scene about the starving kids, the the doofy, the daffy mom in, in Dirty Dancing and asks baby, like, where are the kids starving, baby? You know, like, so the, even like, that's a thing that Bob's thinking, but that the dad's saying, I'll give you something to cry about. That's a super dad line. That's I feel like they just give that line. to you, like in the hospital, they give you the baby and then they give you this book of it like dad like, lines. Yeah, it's like page two of the laminated <laughs> card, uh, you know, that you get as a dad. But then the realization that adult Ralphie realizes that young nine-year-old Ralphie never realized is my mom never had a hot meal for 15 years. Like, cause she was just getting up and getting food for the men. That's super relatable for the parent who gets up and has to do for the children and other adults in their house who are not able to get up themselves. Uh, yeah, I found it, the whole thing very, very super relatable and really funny. So, uh, all those cliches hit home for me, and I, I'm curious, I, and I'm I am wondering if we are like the last generation though that it does. Like, if you know, my own kids enjoyed it and they thought the whole thing was wonderful and funny, but I don't know if it hits the same way. Like, I would be no. curious if you know, 20 year olds now watching it would be like well that father shouldn't say things like i'll give you something to cry about or right. we shouldn't be joking about starving children in africa like i i don't know how people would take this i know that these are lines that all of our parents said but well, right i i don't know that i say them so i don't know if it like makes it to the next generation yeah I, I think i was hitting it hinting at a little bit about the, the, that this movie reminds me so much of my childhood in the 80s especially the early 80s you know, and this idea that America, especially post post World War II America, which is still a couple of years away from the setting of this movie, through the eighties is is a very specific time in this country, and twenty twenty one is a very different time, and kids are raised differently, parents parent differently. I think this movie doesn't age well, you know, from a lot of standpoints because of that like you can't i i can't picture a thing where uh a modern setting dad would say i'll give you something to cry about the implied violence to a child because it occurred to me watching it so that's how i know it's an issue today like i still find it funny and it's something i, I it's something i probably have said to tom in his life uh, you know or a version of it but yeah i don't know that generation below us the parent generation below us is doing that and kids would feel the same way They'd be like, what do you mean? I'll, I'll call the police on you. You touch me. You know, we do have to hit the teacher. We have to hit Mrs. Miss Shields, played by Teddy Moore, only because this woman has the infinite patience of a teacher that only a grade school teacher could ever have. <laughs> Caroline, when she has them all turn in the fake teeth and she holds all of them in her hand, I almost <laughs> threw up all over my couch watching it. <laughs> Well, in COVID times, it's it's hard to fathom any of that. Yeah. But yeah. But even yeah. outside of COVID, I, the idea of, I don't mind my kids' germs and spit and stuff, but I don't want 30 rando kids' spittle in my hand. Well, now, okay, hold up now. Let me just like give you a little sneak peek into teachers' brains. They're not random children. They're my They're my kids. They're my classroom. They're they're my twenty or twenty two kids who I have for a whole year. So they're not they're not rando kids, and that's kind of the thing. Like I feel like she is this alternate mom figure. I mean, he's trying to woo her about 
the BB gun, you know, because she's like just like this other mom figure that I mean, didn't you ever have that time when you accidentally called your teacher mom? I definitely thought it. I don't know if I ever said it out loud. But I, I definitely I, said it. <laughs> I instantly thought of like two different teachers in my head when you asked that question. Yeah, because because it's like it's one of those things that I think when you're remembering this story and you're remembering the age he's supposed to be at nine, this female in your life who who does nurture you and is yeah. teaching you and is kind of your your you know surrogate mom during the day when he's all moon faced because he's having his daydream staring at her and she's like ralphie return to your seat ralphie <laughs> like she's like ralphie come back to ralphie earth to ralphie yeah. and he's just like he, and he's just like glowy face it was very sweet <laughs> i nice. love what a, it's a great little sight gag though she pulls open the drawer and it's just chock full of other <laughs> gross prank things that have been in the class and stuff I was like, that made me laugh out loud. And, it's, and, and, and there's no attention paid to it. If you're not watching the screen, you totally miss it. But I saw it. It made me laugh. I thought it was really it's funny. It's those details. And I think that's where it comes back to. You can tell this is somebody's personal story because they do such a good job of layering in those details. If you were just making up a fictitious story, you would miss. And, and this feels so much more authentic. What did you think of, and only because this struck me as another very relatable kid thing. And I know we haven't talked too much actually about Christmas and we'll get there in one second, but when he has waited for the decoder ring to come and then he listens to the radio and he writes down the code and then he goes and locks himself in the bathroom so he could feverishly decode it while Randy is doing a pee-pee dance outside and it comes out and it's just, be sure to drink your Ovaltine is the secret code. Mm -hmm. That was so gosh darn relatable to me. The idea of having the the anticipation of this wonderful treat that I have worked so hard for only to be something super lame when it finally <laughs> comes to fruition and feel so disappointed more so than if you hadn't done it at all. I think that and for me, there was this other layer because I was only aware of this within the last probably like 10 years of how much the world like uses kids when it comes to advertising. I was walking through the mall with my son and there was music playing and ads all around us. And and he was kind of looking around with this wide eyed look. And I realized what the world looked like to him, how adults like don't really care that they're using kids like that. Like, so that they would be advertising these little kids. They'd be advertising to them like that and, and being kind of like used by the system like that. There, it was a whole realization. Like, I literally said sorry to my kid. I was like, I'm so sorry that like when you look at billboards and there's like uh, sex shop ads or something, I'm, I'm sorry that you like have to see that as like a seven-year-old or something, you know, like that feels terrible. You know, I wouldn't show you that on TV, but like the world like pounds on you like that, the adult world. And I, I, it just made me feel like, yeah, that's one of those times when adults like seeped into your childhood stuff and yeah, made it lame. Yeah, I mean, but I also have specific memories, though, of like cutting box tops. And, oh, yeah. and like proofs of purchase at like cereal boxes cereal and stuff. Boxes, to, to, cereal to, boxes. Cereal boxes. You know, to send away for whatever the stupid thing was in the mail. That it's always took plastic and flimsy and lame breaks. Uh, the you know S A S E was like one of the first abbreviations I ever learned in my in my life. You know, a self addressed stamped envelope because you always had to include one whenever you would like send away for one of those stupid things. Yeah. So yeah, I, I felt that so hard. As a parent, can I tell you one of the things I identified most, and it's a segue into the Christmas talk about what yeah. is a Christmas movie? Uh, the magnificent spread of Christmas presents for the children, Randy and Ralphie under the tree. Did you notice the presents that mom and dad got? Well, the bowling ball was, you mm -hmm. know, 
it managed to get a huge like yell of laughter in my living room watching it this time. Jack was like, oh my God. <laughs> so that was funny. And even that it was a blue ball and all that stuff, oh, like the whole funny, yes. line of everything he was saying was getting a lot of chortles. But you know what? This is terrible. And this is extra terrible because now I really don't know. I don't know what the mom got. Well, it wasn't anything spectacular. Before the dad gets the bowling ball, he is on. He's we join him in media res opening up a can of Simonize for his car, like car wax. Okay. It's like a little can of it. And the mom, you never actually see the mom open a present. She's holding an item in her hand, which must have only been a present because at, at December, she's holding a fly swatter. Yeah, that tracks. She's holding <laughs> a fly swatter. Yeah. And even if she never opened anything and never held anything in her hands, I think that that speaks volumes. And I think that yeah. a lot of moms know that. Do you know, I, I, was, but I think actually, I, I was making the larger point that mom and dad usually get crappy presents at practical. Christmas. Yeah. If, if they get anything, it's very practical presents that maybe they also bought themselves. You know, yeah. if, if you're saying something like a nice robe, chances are the mom or dad bought that themselves. You know, <laughs> if it's socks or if it's a fly swatter, it's definitely your spouse that bought you the fly Any swatter. Any kind of appliance is a bad idea. <laughs> But it's usually stuff like, oh, we painted the living room. That was each other's gift. Like, really? <laughs> that sucked. Remember, we had a verbal agreement two months ago that this would be our Christmas presents to each yeah. other. Yeah. I, I abided by our by our agreement. You violated the terms of it by buying a bowling ball. <laughs> That's terrible. Is We're ready to get into this. Yeah. Is, a Christmas story? is it a Christmas? Is it a Christmas story? A Christmas movie? I mean, I'm saying all out yes. I mean, every single part of this depends on the fact that Christmas is coming. The entire plot revolves around wanting this particular Christmas present and then all the things that go in all around it, whether it has to do with the bumpus dogs ruining the Christmas dinner to, of course, the gift. But then even the other little parts, uh, like going to the um, the parade and doing the Santa sitting on his lap. And even I, I was surprised at how I remembered the elves' faces going into the camera and it being like kind of scary to see that on the screen as a kid but how much it was like bad santa then you know i was like kind of surprised they were being that honest about it that like mall santas are, are creepy dudes if old man higby wants me to stay a minute later in five o'clock he can forget about it the whole thing the, the red nose the whole thing but i love the idea that like ralphie is not slick when it comes to it and he gets paralyzed you know he freezes in the moment right and and he's you want a football <laughs> i can't imagine being how horrible i don't know the, the whole idea thing is, the idea of a slide to get rid of the kids though is ingenious ha, they had that when i was in massachusetts the small santa we would see had that same setup with the slide and you go down into like the you know whatever that is the batting or whatever this really was my childhood and there's the fact that he was willing to put his boot on his face oh my god what what a classic again it's something you could not get away with in a family branded movie in 2021 is a santa putting his boot on the forehead and saying oh <laughs> but when he goes to scrabble his way back up the slide when he finally remembers his voice it never makes me not laugh like it makes me laugh literally every single time i see it and because then he gives the best smile after he finally gets it out and the blurting out of all the details that is so that is so my own kids like the blurting out the model number type thing you're like what yeah very you don't funny. know your middle name or your address what are you doing 
a, a wild thing is the parade outside where the Wizard of Oz flying monkeys are hanging out with Mickey Mouse. I was so baffled by all of that. I was like, I can't imagine a parade that features characters from the Wizard of Oz. Why though? The, knowing this, knowing the timing, knowing that no, no, Wizard for, of Oz just came out that year before. Well, for sure, but I guess because in 2021, I've never been to a parade that featured characters from the Wizard of Oz. I've been to Mickey parades. No, no, no. But you've been to. Parades where the most recent movie characters are on are in for there. For sure, for sure. I just didn't think that was a thing that happened in 1940 that they would have like. I mean, those were pretty good costumes that they were wearing. Yeah. I don't know. It just. It, it, I, I was. I was. I was blown away by it that it was like a <laughs> thing. I don't know. I think it, it helps set up the time and place for for anyone who oh, does sure, sure. you know realize the timing of everything. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think this movie doesn't work if it's not at Christmas time. It doesn't work. Um, it's about a kid's desire to get the his to get his heart's desire, right? And and the things that he's working towards, and, and it's about family. I mean, it really is about the working of this Parker family, and and even the stuff that's not specifically related to the Christmas story is still all Christmassy related. Even you know, um, all of Ralphie's interactions with his friends, with Flick, with Schwartz, with, with Schwartz, with Farkas. All of that he views through the lens of will this affect me being able to get the Red Rider or not? It's it's there's punishment and then there's this is going to count against me in getting you know the air rifle that I want. Uh, you know, so even that stuff that is not specifically about Christmas is still tied into Christmas because it, it's affecting all of his behavior. I don't know if it would shock you, Mike, to know I'm the kind of mom who would sing jingle bells like that and then go at the end of it in the car. I totally would. Very on brand for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what I would do. And uh, so all of those moments were, were like, yes. And and the the larger themes of like hope and belief and just just having faith that that it's going to come through for you somehow because Christmas is a magical time and things just happen. I, I think that it's like perfection in yeah, that department. I mean, I mean, snow on a Christmas morning. Oh my God. When they were sitting on the, when she goes over and sits on the couch arm and he's sitting there watching the snow outside, like by the light of the Christmas tree. I, I don't think there could be a sweeter or more romantic moment in my brain. No, no. I mean, this movie embodies the idea of the magic of Christmas time. Not that there's not a magical moment in this movie though i mean from ralphie's standpoint you know it's gonna take a miracle for him to get this red rider because every adult except for the one that every he approaches every adult in this movie about the gun except for the one who eventually gets to him which is also and look at that mike i think most people would have said this dad is a gruff mean old dad who, who doesn't know anything and doesn't help around the house and doesn't do whatever right but at the end of the day who knows what he really wants the dad, he has been listening. He has paid attention. He did know that he wanted the the BB gun. I read a I read a tree effect, and I don't know how this person knew this to be true. But they, you know, the scene where he goes into his parents' room, and that's where we see they have the separate beds, which is still wild for me, even though I <laughs> I, I saw it on the Flintstone, so I know it's a thing. Um, <laughs> the little twin beds that the parents sleep in. He puts the flyer in the Look magazine. 
Mm -hmm. uh, which was a cover from 1937. That was an actual real look magazine, but it was from 37. Uh, it's a Shirley Temple pouring tea for Santa. He sure. puts he puts the flyer in the look magazine. He puts it on the pillow. This trivia fact said that he actually puts it on the dad's pillow. And that's perhaps how the dad knew what he wanted, that the marketing worked. It just didn't work on the right parent that he thought it was working on. Well, if you think about it, and if I'm remembering correctly, if you go with the idea that I think it was stereotypically even that the man tends to sleep closest to the door. Oh, that makes sense. Sure. Then it was the bed that was closest to the door. Yes, that's true. So you probably could believe that. Yeah. So so that, you know, maybe that's maybe that is how the dad knew. Maybe it's not that him and mom sit down and go, what did the kids want? Oh, I don't think there was that. That doesn't no. they don't seem to have a lot of communication. <laughs> no, but I did like the idea that they left the boys on the Santa line and went and clearly went and did their shopping. Yes, but that's so, like, that's just so what happens, right? Like, you just are like, you guys stay. This is a safe place I can leave. Yes. Right. <laughs> the chances of something happening to you is are, are, are slim in this environment. We can leave you here by yourselves for a right. little while. Yeah, We're no. not recommending that as a podcast, however. Yes, please don't leave your kids in, <laughs> in any kind of department store. But it would be tempting to leave them and not have to wait in that line with the other sniveling children. <laughs> uh, actually, a great little trivia fact. The I irate man in line the one who's yelling about where the line is that's actually gene shepherd that oh, is wow, that's so funny that is the uh, the adult ralphie narrator and the author of the book and the woman standing right behind him behind him lay yeah. brown his wife who is one of the screenplay writers on this movie Oh, I, you know what? I, his voice is the most comforting grandpa, like, but, but still with like a child heart kind of voice that has an excitement to it, but still has that like soothing older man voice. Mm, it's good. It's good business. Uh, well, you may be interested then in the sequel to this movie. Did you know there was a sequel to A I Christmas Story? There was a sequel to this movie called My Summer Story. It was originally released in the movie theaters as a movie called It Runs in the Family when it was uh, converted for VHS and, and TV airplay. It was called My Summer Story. It was a 1994 comedy. It was narrated again by Gene Shepard in the Ralphie adult Ralphie role. role. It was again based on his recollections. Uh, it starred Charles Grodin as the old man, Mary Steenburgen has taken over as mom, and Kieran Culkin has replaced Peter Billingsley as Ralphie. So I like Kieran Culkin, like in succession and stuff now, but he's got too much Eddie Haskell in him for me to play this. Yeah, well, I mean, at this point, though, he's probably not more than 10 years old, though, in 1994, though. So No, 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 but just his, just that impish grin that he's had his whole time i've seen him as a little kid actor that that doesn't that doesn't mash well for me with with ralphie's more innocent sweet face you well know? no one ever talks about this movie i mean considering it's a movie that starred mary steenburgen and charles groden it's it's a movie that doesn't exist for all intents and purposes but there you go actually teddy <laughs> moore see it now. who I, if we had a patreon we would absolutely be covering <laughs> my summer story as a <laughs> as a companion podcast episode for this one uh teddy moore is actually the only character other than gene shepherd from this movie she plays miss shields the teacher who reprises her role in the sequel in the 94 sequel so huh. she's back miss shields is still there still That's kicking funny. still teaching so oh my gosh yeah, this movie this movie is everything about Christmas in my world as a kid and as a parent. I think it speaks volumes about <laughs> uh, about parents at that time and, and things that we're going through. 
Are we ready for some fast facts? I think so. There's a ton about this movie, but we're not going to do a ton. I love this fact. It inspired the creation of the Wonder Years. Oh, I can see that so directly. Love it, love it, love it. And actually, there's an, another reboot coming out of the Wonder Years. Yes. So we'll have to see how that one goes. I think by the time this comes out, is published, it should have already premiered. So Exciting. So go check that out. Very much so. Uh, you mentioned this at the beginning as something you really liked, and I held off on this fact until now. Darren McGavin, who plays the old man, he... He ad-libbed all of his profane rants while fighting with the furnace. He uh, said in interviews later that he had to speak gibberish the entire time because it was almost impossible for him ad-lib angry words without actually using curse words. And they wanted to protect, uh, protect the PG rating. So he had to make it just grumbles like, you know, uh, gibberish grumbles instead. It's super reminiscent, too, of the of the want, want, want of the Charlie Brown world and love it. I thought of the want, want Charlie Brown teacher when uh, the mom calls Mrs. Schwartz about the foul language. Yes. She sounds, she's like, what? Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the teacher from Peanuts if she was like on crack and like I was losing her mind. Yes. That whole thing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. How about that Will Wheaton audition for the role of Ralphie? That would have been funny. He's got an innocent face. He could have done this. Uh, yeah. It was in the right age dream, uh, age range for this too right because he does uh stand by me well he does stand by me right that's 85 mm -hmm. maybe and then he's on next generation when it premieres in 87 and he's like a 15 16 year old in that so yeah but i think if you watch stand by me you could get a real sense of like what his little face would have looked like very similarly to this time uh jack nicholson was actually given the script as, for the role of the old man and he was actually really interested in the role clark didn't know about it though at the time bob clark who was the director didn't know that they were looking at him and the studio decided it didn't want to pay uh Nichol nicholson's fee anyway but after all said and done, uh, Bob Clark was on the record of saying that Darren McGavin was still the better choice for the old man. In fact, was born to play the role. Oh, that's sweet. I don't think that Nicholson would have worked out at all. That's that's way too, way too much. He's way too intense. I'm going to go get that furnace. Yeah. <laughs> No, see, no, 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 no. I don't like any of that. I think that for people who are like super duper fans who want to have a little piece of the history, the idea that there's actually a place that you can go visit the exterior part of the house, right? That was all, I was all restored and the interior was renovated and all that. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can go there and it's a gift shop and a museum and everything, super cool. And that a fan actually put it together again, it just makes me feel like very cool, very fun fun so if you super love this movie absolutely go look it up and go find the christmas story house the movie is supposed to be set in hammond indiana where gene shepherd grew up uh and there are a bunch of references to things from his childhood home the school some of the streets bob clark sent 20 teams of scouts out uh to scout 20 different locations around the country to find the place the best place for filming uh, they actually settled on Cleveland, and the majority of this movie was filmed in Cleveland. Some stuff was filmed in Ontario, some stuff was filmed in Indiana, but the majority of the movie was filmed in Cleveland. That's where Higby's comes in. Higby's was an actual real store. It became a Dillard's in the 90s, and it is actually out of business now, but back then it was like a big store. If you actually watch the credits of this movie, they're thanked for their extensive cooperation. There's a special shout out to the Higby Corporation, because they filmed inside the store, uh, all of the stuff... In inside Higby's in the movie, actually filmed inside Higby's in the movie. Um, but the people of Cleveland were super participatory and cooperative in the movie. All of the vehicles were donated for 
were they weren't donated but they were used the owners all were featured in the movie for the antique vehicles that you see uh so that was historically accurate uh, every so the parade all of that that was all done like overnight shoots in cleveland during the time but the higby's connection because i had never heard of a higby's uh, it has like mm-hmm. a real macy's feel it would be macy's for me oh, or yeah. the gimbals for a philadelphian gimbals. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I thought that was crazy. I, I thought for sure. I was like, Higby's has to be fake. No, Higby's totally a real thing. And it was a feature of Cleland for, for a long time. So, yeah. That's awesome. Well, and if you aren't believing our praise of this movie, in 2012, A Christmas Story was added to the National Film Registry by the United States Library of Congress. So, you know, it's got to be a quality movie. Um, and in uh, what, 17 seasons, you can go check out our friends at the You're Missing Out podcast when they eventually get to covering the 2012 National Film Registry. So 17 go. seasons. Wow. <laughs> what is it, 1989 to 2012? How many is that? Yeah. That's 12. No, it's more than that. It's That's 12. More than- <laughs> 22, 23, <laughs> season 23 hard. of the You Are Missing Out podcast. They'll be covering. Uh, a Christmas story. Yeah, you can go listen to that. <laughs> All right, Mike, are you ready for some jingle bell ratings? I am. Do you want do you while you're putting your numbers together, do you want to yes. hear a bit from next week's episode? Yes, I have the the group from Ernst and Young here to help me calculate. Okay. I suppose it all started with the snow. You see, it was a very special kind of snow. A snow to make the happy happy and the giddy even giddy. A snow to make a homecoming homier and natural enemies friends. Natural. For it was the first snow of the season. And as any child can tell you, there's a certain magic to the very first snow. Especially when it falls on the day before Christmas. Oh, for when the first snow that. is also a Christmas snow, <laughs> well, something wonderful is bound to happen. It's like things go nuts. <laughs> um, I think that's the story of Frosty the Snowman. It I don't is know the what story version <laughs> of the Frosty the Snowman, the original animated classic, which I think is from like the mid sixties. I actually don't have the year in front of me. But well, yes. this should be exciting. I'm a little scared to watch it after our our Rudolph stories. I'm scared we're going to watch it and it's going to be like I never saw that he chopped the kid in half. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have high hope. I have high hopes for it. In in my brain behind our Charlie Brown Christmas. Frosty mm-hmm. the Snowman is like my favorite animated Christmas special in like my head. Like I again, I haven't watched I haven't watched it, so I'm a little worried. I haven't watched it in quite a, quite a few years, um, so I'm a little worried about how it's going to hold up now. But at least in my brain, anyway, it was always in that number two slot, though. So. Yeah, me too. I'm waiting for there to be like, I didn't understand that he ever said that. <laughs> We're going to get all weirded out. But I'm looking forward to that one. So that one's I mean, 31. I already know he melts, dies, and is reborn. Oh, and there's a whole Jesus narrative to it. So, you know, no. I, that's good. That's like a whole thing. But, Jeez, you know. What a I, teaser. Jeez. I don't know, spoilers for people who haven't seen the movie that's <laughs> You don't old. know what happens with Frosty. The 30-minute 30, 30 animated cartoon <laughs> classic that plays every single year for 60 years. But, you know, spoilers. <laughs> well, hey, you yeah, never know. For sure. For, for our sure. overseas listeners who may not have seen this movie, who knows? All right, Caroline, what are you doing with Christmas Story? What's your Jingle Bell rating look like? 
I am so scared to give this rating because I want to give it a super duper high rating. I have to take just a wee bit off because I know that some of the stuff I know the Chinese restaurant scene may not work for a lot of people. And so in that case, I have to take it down just a little bit. So I'm going to give it a 9.5 because this so far has been my favorite movie of all the movies we've watched. I feel like this one captures the spirit for me of what Christmas is as both a kid and all the hopefulness and excitement of Christmas. And even as an adult, all the things that you're dealing with all around you all the time, I I just felt it all. And it really hinged on the fact that this was Christmas and everything had to do with Christmas morning. And and that's truly magical Christmas for me. So 9.5, Mike. Tying it with your your highest score you've given a movie in our 30 weeks of doing Which this. Which was what? what? Take a guess. Take a guess. You have one other night. You have a 9.25 and then you have a 9.5 sitting here on the old spreadsheet. I don't know. I truly don't know. By the river. So <laughs> oh, no. The- Christmas Carol. OK, but here's the thing. I, this one, I, when it's time, I, I'm going to bump this one up above that. I'm just letting you know. I, 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 I see because I have the benefit of my spreadsheet. I already bumped it up because originally I was oh. also going to go 9.5. Oh, so you went like 9. See, I was thinking like 9.8 because I was only a point two off for like the racism portion and, you know, some hinting at maybe the dad was a little bit too much. But I, I gave it a full, full point five off. So uh, Yeah. So I, I gave Home Alone a 9.5. And while I think Home Alone is oh, a wonderful no. Christmas this movie. This beats Home Alone. This, this beats Home Alone. <laughs> it, this, this hit, I mean, ultimately Home Alone is probably going to get docked down a little bit anyway. Uh, I'm coming in at 9.75 on this one. Uh, wow. I, I still don't like it as much as A Charlie Brown Christmas. That is still holding in real high for me at 9.9. Um, but this is by far the most i've enjoyed an actual honest to god christmas movie in a very long time doing this uh in our 30 weeks here i this one really i cannot tell you the smile on my face when i was watching this episode and honestly this is what i i might have even said it out loud i (laughs) my, my sentiment was this is exactly what i needed to see today like i needed to see this movie today and it's it's so weird because it's like it was it's august i when i was watching it and i was feeling like why should i be watching this when it's so hot but when i just rewatched it to do it now i just felt like it still makes me smile smile so so big so it's me happy that's why we did this podcast this is exact reasoning if you go all the way back to thanksgiving of last year well you know when i originally approached you about doing this podcast was for this exact reason because some days you just need the magic of christmas to get you through and it doesn't matter if it's if it's december april september it doesn't matter sometimes christmas is just what you need and this movie really definitely hit me in all the right places as a parent as a dad as a kid at heart uh this movie just did it all for me so really happy we covered it me too. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. If you don't mind going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you could rate, review, and subscribe uh, to the podcast, that would be fantastic. And while you're there, if you could leave us a five-star rating, that would be fantastic. So that you don't shoot your eye out. <laughs> they're, they're all tied together. I totally thought you were going to say, so the bumpus dogs don't eat your turkey dinner. <laughs> uh, that would have been a good one. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. 
Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.